0: Hey there, everybody. Angela Bowen here, the host of Looking Back on My Wonder Years of Wonder Years podcast. Well, today I'm not doing an episode about a TV show. Today I am doing a movie review on Beethoven's sequel entitled Beethoven Second. So, Beethoven's Second, released on December 17th, 1993. And I'll do a little, this is all from IMDb, this is the uh, synopsis here. Beethoven, the St. Bernard dog, becomes a father, but his girlfriend, Missy, is dognapped, and his puppies are in danger of the same fate. That is from SSPU. R.L.I. Don't know who this. Oh, you got a couple different ones. Beethoven becomes a father, but the puppy's owner wants to use them and the mother in her divorce bargaining. But the Newton kids steal the puppies. Will they be allowed to keep them? And will they be able to rescue the puppy's mother and reunite her with her family? Here's another one. <clears throat> Excuse me. Beethoven is back, and this time he's bringing the kids. Hey, that was from that uh, that commercial I just saw on YouTube for advertising the movie. It's the further adventures of the Newton family and their lovable, lumbering pal, Beethoven. In the second symphony of the Beethoven saga, our hero meets Missy, the Lady St. Bernard of his dreams. Unfortunately, they are soon separated by Regina, Missy's hateful owner, <clears throat> who is using her as an as a bargaining chip in an ugly divorce. But love finds a way, and the result is four adorable roly-poly puppies. The prospect of four valuable purebred pups appeals to Regina's greed. But the Newton kids come to the rescue and bring home the cuddly canines. Now, if they can just convince Dad to adopt the huge messy bundles of joy, mission accomplished. But Missy is still in Regina's evil clutches. Will Missy, Beethoven, and their puppies ever be reunited? And will Regina finally get what she deserves? Wow, that reads like uh, the back of a book synopsis. So, a little backstory on my history with Beethoven Second. I was pretty obsessed with this movie after seeing Beethoven and then a year later, Beethoven Second comes out, and I'm all like, "Oh my gosh! I remember the night that I was going to see the movie. I didn't even know I was going to see the movie." Uh, my dad was making dinner, and I was like, why are we making dinner so early? Are you you going somewhere? And he's like, no, but you are, because your aunt and her kids, you're all going to the movies. I remember it was me, my Aunt Debbie, um, my cousin Kara and Laura and John all went and saw Beethoven second, and I think they went and saw... Uh, My uncle Dwayne and Kevin O'Brien, my cousins, went and saw Mrs. Doubtfire. I remember watching the movie and getting to, like, closer to the end of the film, and I was so into it. I'm like, oh my gosh, are you okay? I actually said that at at the movie screen. I also got the 32-page book. I don't have it on me anymore, but I got that when I was in fifth grade, and I also got I don't have my original copy of the uh, novelization. I had it, I didn't Like, who knows what happened to it. A lot of movie novelizations that I had probably got given away. And I managed to find it at like a Goodwill or something, the Beethoven second novelization. So, periodically through the movie, I will stop and read a passage from the movie novelization, so we can get some insight into what the characters are thinking, and maybe some scenes that weren't in the movie. This has got a really low rating on IMDb. It's got a four point nine out of ten. My goodness! All right, so you know how we had um, the big bad guy was played by Dean Jones. Well, this person, this movie's bad guy is a duo played by Debbie Mazer, Regina, and her boyfriend, Floyd. Regina is the soon-to-be ex-wife of Brillo, who is Missy's actual owner. So this movie was directed by Rod Daniel. I've not heard- oh, he passed away, um, almost three- oh, it has been three years- so let's see what other animal movies this got. Oh my god, he directed Home Alone 4? Gross. Ugh. Uh, yeah, it looks like he directed an episode of Everybody Loves Raymond. He directed Canine, which came out in 89. Also, Like Father, Like Son with Kirk Cameron. And Teen Wolf. Writers John Hughes. Characters he was... Actually credited as Edmund Dantes. And it was written by Len Blum. I'm looking at Beethoven here and Beethoven's got a 5.6. Beethoven was actually directed by Brian Levant. Alright, here's some trivia. The love theme in the film features Dolly Parton. Christopher Masterson had a small role in the film. However, his older brother Danny Masterson, who we all know as Hyde from that 70s show had a leading role in the film. The two were not playing brothers in the movie, so neither one mentioned to anyone that they were related. When producers went to view the film, they noticed the resemblance and reshot all of Chris's scenes with another actor. This is the feature film debut of Danny Masterson, and according to Rod Daniel, Chris Penn had a severe drug addiction during filming and Bonnie Hunt was not fun to work with. uh Okay. Did Rod Daniel put this information? (sighs) So, Oscar nominee for Best Music Original Song. The Day I Fall in Love. Oh, we have some Young Artists Awards. Nicole Tom, Christopher Castile, and Sarah Rose Carr, who play Rice, Ted, and Emily. Alright, I think I'll wait on the user reviews until the end of the movie, so let's just get into the movie. I'm ready to go. We'll also get into the goofs later on in the continuity and stuff like- Oh, and the soundtracks. There's two taglines. This time, he's bringing the kids, and the Newton family is going to the dogs. So the Newton residence, if you want to visit their house, is 1405 Milan Avenue, South Pasadena, California. Also, they filmed in Glacier National Park, Montana. So it looks like the budget for the movie was fifteen mil. Opening weekend six mil and grossed over a hundred and eighteen million dollars. So overall it made its money back. So Beethoven opening weekend made seven mil and then grossed one hundred and forty seven million overall. Okay, okay. Alright, so we get the universal. Shot coming up. Now we get the opening shot, which is a close-up zoom-in shot of Beethoven's nose and muzzle. So we get, basically, Beethoven is dreaming. This is a dream sequence we're going to go into. As the camera slowly pulls back, we get the title card, Beethoven second, in red letters outlined by yellow. So you can tell it's a dream sequence because everything, as Beethoven's heading down the stairs, everything is really, like, hazy, like there's a a mist or a fog. So he wanders into the kitchen. It's typical morning. Everyone's eating breakfast or dinner. Oh, it's dinner because the kids are eating steak because they have so much money, this family. They really don't. (laughs) Yeah, they're living in California in this ginormous house. I gotta say about this house, this house looks different than the first house. I want to look and see if, because we got the address of the, where their residence is in the second one. Is it the same address as the other? It says it's the same house. I mean, the interior, of course, is different. But then again, it's been a year, so maybe Alice wanted to redecorate a little so Emily calls Beethoven over. She's got a little bit, like a, a small chunk of steak on her fork. Before he Beethoven can get to it, Ted calls him over and Ted's got a full steak on his fork. Just like holding it out for Beethoven. Alice holds out this Thanksgiving turkey on a platter, garnished with with lettuce. So George is like, Beethoven, no! And he calls his name, and Beethoven looks like, he kind of groans, like, oh, great. And George is holding up. Of course, it's a fake giant T-bone steak, because it's as big as George is standing. So, yeah, if you didn't already figure out, this is a dream. We hear Rice scream, Mom, we're out of toilet paper, as Alice throws up a roll of toilet paper, and it bounces off of Beethoven's head. So, this knocks him out of his dream sequence. Into present day. So let's go to the book, as there's a different scenario as Beethoven is coming out of that dream sequence. Emily and Ted, wearing their pajamas, sat on the floor and watched as Beethoven slept, snoring slightly, lost in dreamland, absorbed in his fantasy of big meaty bones and juicy roast beef. It had been a long time since Beethoven had come to live with them. But they still thought he was the most interesting interesting thing in their lives. They couldn't take their eyes off him. They were late getting ready for school, but they couldn't tear themselves away. Really? Okay. (laughs) What do you suppose dogs dream about? Emily asked her brother. Ted took a good, hard look at the sleeping dog. Beethoven was sighing heavily in his sleep, and his big pink tongue hung out of his mouth. The look on his face was one of pure happiness. I don't know, Ted said, but it must be really good. Yeah, agreed Emily. Suddenly from downstairs, Mrs. Newton called out, Ted, Emily, are you kids dressed? You better hurry up. And Ted and Emily jumped up as if they received an electric shock. Almost ready, Ted shouted. Yeah, Mom, almost. So we hear the classic Beethoven theme play as Beethoven heads down the stairs. Alice calling up to the kids, you're gonna be late, let's go! We get a slow-mo shot as other people's names are coming up, like Danny Masterson and Ashley Hamilton, who's actually, Ashley Hamilton is a guy, he plays, um, what's his face's, uh, uh, Rice's love interest to start. Taylor Devereaux, that's what it was. Yeah, because her best friend's name is Michelle. So we get a slow-mo shot of Beethoven loping along into the kitchen, and you see his mouth just hanging open with every gallop. Of course, Beethoven's dish is empty as he runs to it. It's like, why is there no food in here? Someone's not doing their job, kids! You said you're gonna take care of this dog! So we get a little story here as George is sitting down to breakfast. He's like, the bank's gotta understand that air fresheners do more than just freshen air. And of course, Alice, ever the supporting wife, is like, honey, I'm sure it'll be fine. The banker, he'll believe you. So, George is trying to get funding from the bank now. He's still having issues with his uh, air freshener business. So, George is just kind of rehearsing what he wants to say to Mr. Becker the bank manager, on, you know, ways to get the loan. And of course, he's so distracted that he doesn't see Beethoven come up behind him and pull those two slices of bacon off his plate. He's like, Mr. Biggert, and he looks down like, didn't I have some bacon here? And Alice is like, honey, you ate the bacon. It's gone. And he doesn't even, he's like, oh, okay, yeah, I guess I did eat it. It was sausage, it wasn't bacon, okay. He's like, didn't I have some sausage here? And she's like, you ate it, honey. So... Beethoven goes to nose into a cupboard. It looks like he ripped through that box of milk bones because all we see is a shredded box and no food. There's also, I'm guessing, a game in this small uh, cupboard in the hallway. Uh, Tiddlywinks? Because it says Winks and there's a DY just before it. Then there's a big ass bag of fucking Cheetos. Holy shit, that thing is like three feet tall. And we hear as Beethoven shoves his head into this giant. Sam's Club Costco value-sized bag of Cheetos, we hear those sound, <laughs> sound, so that's not Beethoven making that noise, that's someone else doing dog chewing noises. Of course, Alice is like, honey, do not say challenge, it's a scary word to a bank. She suggests opportunity, a much better word. All right, now we get Emily and Ted, and these kids are a little bit older. So this season, instead of Ted having to deal with bullies this time around, guess what he's dealing with? Trying out for the baseball team at school. Yeah. And Rice, of course, her biggest problem was getting Mark to notice her. She's moved on from Mark. She's got bigger fish to fry. She wants to look good for Taylor, her best friend, Michelle's older brother, Taylor Devereaux, who's giving them a ride to school in his sweet-ass powder blue Corvette or whatever. I don't know my cars. It's got a, it's a convertible, I guess. Top down. Don't, they all look the same to me. Convertible, Ferrari, what have you. All the same. george as these kids are sitting down to breakfast they're looking at their dad like what in the because george is at the point where he's actually hands clasped together raised in prayer like the banker is our almighty father who he is asking for the opportunity to get money to fund his air freshener business and yeah ted is eating trick cereal you know the one before This is after they had the balls of cereal, the the different colored circular. Now they have the fruit shapes. I remember the fruit shapes. Apparently Beethoven is like, hey, Ted, play ball with me. I have a tennis ball in my mouth. Will you play ball with me? He's like, no, no, we're already late for school. These kids, this is a running thing. These kids are like, are we late yet? We're always late for school. I thought they walked to school. I this is supposed to be the same house. It's shot at the same location. So I don't know. And even George makes an instant. Like, why does she why does Rice need a ride to school? It's a two minute walk. Cause I know that Ted and Emily also do walk to school. They don't ride the bus. So I'm guessing Ted's gotta be probably 13, 14. So he's got to be in 7th grade. Emily's probably, she's got to be about maybe 7 or 8 at this point. So she's got to be in like 1st or 2nd grade. This kid's, Emily's missing some teeth. Alice keeps yelling for Rice to get her ass downstairs. But Rice is too preoccupied in what she's going to wear that will catch Taylor Devereux's eye. And she's rehearsed, he's looking in the mirror, she's got, her bed is filled with different tops that she keeps, like, checking, like, in the mirror, like, hi, thanks for picking me up. Oh, no, this one sucks. Oh, thanks for picking me up. Hi. No, this one's terrible. (laughs) And this goes on for a bit. And the thing with it, this is a goof. She's looking in the mirror with one dress. Beethoven comes up, kind of scratches at her leg, getting her attention. She, She turns and it's a completely different dress. Bryce, if you haven't figured it out since, uh, last night, then you 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 got to just go with what you're going to go with. You're already going to be late. She's even got a makeup station there all set up and it's got like frilly like like a bed skirt kind of sitting around it. The kids definitely have grown up in over a year. I'll say that much. This interior is nothing like what it looked like in the first movie. I'll stop ragging on that, though. Alright, let's take a break and find out what's going on in Rice's head. Rice had other things on her mind. Although it was early in the morning, the gossip line among Rice and her teenage girlfriends was already buzzing. Rice was on the telephone. Rice looked absolutely amazed at what her friend Michelle was telling her. If you're lying, Rice... Rice said in the phone, I'm going to kill you. I swear to God, said Michelle solemnly. I just finished talking to him like five seconds ago. The him that Michelle was f- referring to was Taylor Deborah, by far the coolest boy in Rice's class, and one that she had had a secret crush on for years. Really? Years? What happened to Mark? She, I take it she went out to the movies with him, found out like, eh, he's not for me. Tell me what he said again, Rice asked. "'He specifically asked me to find out if you wanted a ride to school this morning,' Michelle repeated. Rice couldn't believe her ears. She was so stunned that when Beethoven tried to nudge the ball into her hand, she absently-mindedly pushed the big dog away. "'He's going to give me a ride?' "'Right! Like in his convertible?' "'No, in the space shuttle. He'll be here any minute. You want us to pick you up next?' <laughs> "'Michelle, gotta go.' "'Well, what do I tell him?' "'Tell him yes,' Royce slammed down the phone and raced for the door.' Alas, in the movie, we don't see any conversation that she has with her friend Michelle on the phone. So, Rice is all gabby gab gab like, Oh, Mom, life is amazing. I'm getting a ride to school with Michelle and Taylor Devereaux. And, of course, she bypasses her dad on her way, going into the kitchen. He's going out of the kitchen with his cup of coffee. And he's like, Who's Taylor Devereux? And she's like, A boy. And, of course, George's like, Yeah, a boy, of course. Because why wouldn't it be a boy? Alright, so George is now out on the porch with his cup of coffee. He's rehearsing his speech. This paper boy, this is going to come back later. He's got a little repertoire with this kid. That he's like, hey, Mr. Newton, you call the pitch. As George, of course, is distracted. He's not paying any attention. The kid gets the newspaper and chucks it right at George. Boom. Hits his coffee spills it all over his nice clean shirt and suit like damn it kid and the way this paper rotates end over end till it boom slams right into that coffee cup and the kid at first smiled and he's like oh shit he's not happy i better peel the fuck out of here bye you didn't see me so as the kid's peeling off down the sidewalk we got taylor and his sister michelle they show up in the blue convertible corvette whatever so george heads upstairs he's got to change his clothes rice comes down the stairs boom she's at the door there is taylor Devereux. i'm not impressed by this guy he looks like a slime ball and i'm not gonna spoil anything but then again it's 2019 this movie came out at the end of 93 if you haven't seen it go watch it Watch the first one first, of course, if you haven't seen the first one. But then again, like I said, these movies came out in the 90s. These are childhood 90s staples. If you haven't seen them, I don't know what to tell you. So Taylor opens the screen door like, hey, he pops his head in. Hey, Michelle said you could use the ride to school. And she's like, yeah. Like, she's out of breath, and she's also very excited that this guy is talking to her. Of course, she can't leave because she's got to introduce, like, oh, here, hi, there's my mom. And, uh, my dad's up there with a look of shock on his face on the stairs. That's him. So, of course, Taylor, ever the nice guy that he appears to be like, oh, don't worry, I'll get Rice back to to school and back safely. And, of course, Alice kind of flirts with him a little bit. She's like, oh, well, you know, you're very handsome, so she can be a little bit late. And they leave, and... Rice is like bye mom, and she looks like bye dad for not saying anything and looking like a, because he just looks there when she's like oh there that's my dad up there and he's like Bleh. go change your clothes George. Of course, Rice and Taylor head out the door as Alice is like seatbelts remember your seatbelts. Oh no George was uh, speechless because he's checking out that guy's nice uh, set of wheels out there and he's like what in the world i mean what does she need a ride to school for it's a two-minute walk and she's like well you used to give me a ride to school remember honey and he's like yeah on a bicycle she's like still honey you were very very roomy of course emily's like she's coming down the stairs like mommy are we late yet and boom Everyone get- I'm sorry for the snapping of the fingers. Everyone's getting into motion. George has got to change his clothes. Uh, Alice has got to take the kids to school. And she'll meet him at the bank. For that big meeting. Beethoven's still got that ball in his mouth. Oh, by the way, Beethoven is played by many different dogs here. Beethoven's like, everyone's leaving. I'm just gonna go out for a stroll. And- the key thing here is couples. He sees an older couple that are walking a male and female dog that may or may not be in a relationship. I don't know. He sees an old couple on the bench that are so in love and holding each other. And they're like, oh, hi, doggy!" And Beethoven's like, ugh, nuts to that. He looks into the tree and sees two white doves cuddled up next to each other on a branch. He sees his friend Sparky, the dog from the first movie, on a date with a scruffy looking dog that's about the same size as him. So he's a- Sparky's a Jack Russell, right? This dog looks like that dog from Frasier. Is this- It does look like that dog from Frasier. I'm not saying that- uh, Okay, so Sparky's gotta be owned by somebody and so does that other dog because they both have choker chain collars on. So, Beethoven's just sitting there, just laying there depressed, like, oh, everybody's got somebody but me. And then, across the pond, what does he see in the water? A reflection of a female Saint Bernard with a pink bow in her, on the top of her head, standing on a rock. Sitting on a rock. No, she's definitely standing. Okay. And his eyes look first. He's like, what could this be? another St. Bernard. Do you think that Beethoven's ever seen another St. Bernard? Because he was in that pet shop by himself. He's probably never laid eyes on another St. Bernard in his life. Like, Oh my gosh, another St. Bernard. They do exist. I'm not the only one. Of course, when he looks again at the rock, the dog is gone, but she's actually just rushing up to the ice cream Stand there in the park. She's with her owner. Beethoven jumps up like, I am not missing this opportunity to find love. This is the only St. Bernard I've ever seen in my life. I'm going to make my moment happen. Beethoven was walking slowly out of the park when suddenly he stopped and sniffed the breeze. There was a wonderful smell. Wonderful to St. Bernard anyway. Then he heard a man's voice. "'Calling to someone, "'Here, Missy! Come on, girl!' Beethoven's ears twitched and perked up at a point. "'Turning around, he saw a beautiful female St. Bernard "'running across the field to her owner. "'Beethoven gazed at this beautiful girl "'and felt lightheaded, dazed at this glorious vision "'and red and white fur. "'Music seemed to swell up and fill his ears, "'and the earth seemed to move under his feet. "'It only took one look, and Beethoven knew. "'At last, he had found his life's companion.' life's companion. The girl of his dreams. His tail wagged happily and his eyes shone brightly. Beethoven watched lovesick already. As the lovely animal ran up to her owner, he was a short kind-looking man named Brillo. Beethoven had seen him in the neighborhood but he didn't know he had a pet. Never mind his name Bernard. It was obvious that he loved his big dog. So two years old. He's already ready to settle down for life. So, Beethoven runs over, sees Brillo with Missy, because you can see, you can't see her body, you can see her tail wagging behind. So, this guy, just typically, this man, running an ice cream stand, as Brillo's got a, ass like, oh, so you got strawberry, and he's like, the guy's like, uh-huh. He, Brillo asks, has it got real hunks of strawberry in it? Mm-hmm. So, Brillo says, I'll have a single cl- cone, yeah, <laughs> I'll have a single cone, please. I have the subtitles on, so. And he asks Missy, Missy, what are you gonna have? This man is clearly lonely, because he's talking- Well, I'm not gonna- No, no, never mind. Disregard what I just said. Everyone talks to- I talk to my cat, I talk to my rabbit, I talk to my hamster. It's not weird. I mean, how many people go and take their dog to Starbucks because they want a Pupperino or Puppuccino or whatever it's called? I see pictures all the time of people posting of their dogs with the what the dog's face just covered in that white gooey cream from their puppuccino. Apparently one bark makes that. She wants a strawberry cone too. Make that two strawberries. Of course at this Missy turns around and sees Beethoven. She comes out from behind the ice cream cart and sees him she's got this big fluffy pink bow on the top of her head to signify that she is female because if she didn't have that bow if you couldn't tell she doesn't have a penis because she does not have a penis maybe you might be confused i don't know so we do hear this music underscoring this scene she's even got to engraved pink collar that looks like it was bought at some fancy pet boutique because her name is like stitched in black cursive on the back of it and she barks at Beethoven. Brillo f- finally looks up like oh like hey you know this guy and Beethoven barks and Brillo's like huh hello missy I can't get your attention I got your ice cream cone right here it's gonna melt. Now oh, she's not thinking about ice cream. <laughs> And I don't know if it says Brill- uh, Brillo or the Ice Cream Man. It might be Brillo because he says, I think she's got a date. Because he's so infested in his dog's love life. Not to mention, she's not fixed. She's not spayed. And Beethoven's not neutered. So, of course, if they were, we wouldn't have this movie. So, Missy finally makes her way over to Beethoven and gives him some friendly licks on the face. We cut back to Brillo. Who's like, oh, you know what? You better make that three strawberry. Oh, you yeah. watching this, Missy is the one making all the moves here. Beethoven does nothing. He just kind of stands there and lets it happen. So he brings the cones over and says, All right, this one's on me, but next time you're buying. Uh, of course, this is short-lived as we see a red convertible. No, it's not a convertible. is it not a convertible. No, it's just a regular red car that... We cut to that parks on the uh, curb there. It pulls up to the curb. I'm sorry. And right away, you cannot see this lady. The only thing you're seeing are her shoes and her cream-colored linen pants. So you can tell. And the camera slowly moves up. So you can see this woman is clearly all about fashion. She's all about the wardrobe. She's all about the makeup, the finer things. This lady's got her own theme music here. I mean, you thought that, uh, Dr. Vernon, whatever, Vernick, Varnick, that's it, Varnick. You thought his theme music was spooky? This is just kind of corny. And the thing is, if you compare villains from the first to, because Varnick did have those two bumbling dum-dums. That were doing all the uh, the side work for him with the testing, he is a worse villain because he was straight up gonna put a bullet between Beethoven's eyes. This lady is just corny as hell. She's got painted on eyebrows, so she comes up like, "Kiss the dog goodbye, Brillo." Visiting hours are over. Who the fuck are you? That isn't your damn dog, bitch. And of course, poor brillo he just comes off as really weak willed he's like why would you take missy you hate dogs you hate all living things and she says it's not about animals or he says it's not about animals it's about alimony and since i got the court order the dog stays with me in the apartment how in the fucking fuck did she get a court order to keep his damn dog she has no emotional attachment to that animal. And then we got old Chris Penn here, R.I.P., in the background as he's, like, picking at his nose while he's got this metal chain stretched out between his two fists. Like, okay, which dog, babe? Which one you want me to get? Because they're both pretty big. So, she wants the dog until that way they can negotiate their little divorce. And you can already tell that Missy does not want to go with Regina. She is cowering. She's scared. She's rubbing up against Brillo like, please don't let her take me. And Regina's all about the money and she says, now, did my lawyer tell you what I want? And Brillo's like, yeah, $50,000. And she, well, that's right. He's like, look, if I had the $50,000, things would be different, but I don't. And she's like, well, then get it. And that's where Chris Penn is like, which dog you want, babe? There's two of them here. And she's a like, that one there, the one with the bow. Which she will proceed to rip off of Missy's head and throw it on the ground. Stupid bow. You want your dog back, you call my lawyer. You give me the damn money. What a bitch. I fucking hate her ass. Here's a little insight into how this little uh, nuptial thing started between Brillo and Regina. And let me say, I'm not surprised because, you know, I'm going to the book here. Where is it here? Rule number one, he says to Beethoven as Regina leaves with Missy. Rule number one, never get married when you're drunk. Wow. She saw that this guy had money and she took advantage of that. He was probably at the casino, is my guess, where they met because where else you gonna get drunk and go and do a shotgun or not a shotgun wedding but one of those uh chapel weddings yeah this is kind of sad as her boyfriend floyd drags the dog away drags missy away to the car and as Regina's walking away, she rips that bow off of Missy's head, throws it at Brillo, it's a stupid bow, you want your dog back, call my lawyer. And the bow falls right at Beethoven's feet. So he gets a good s- sniff of Missy's scent, and he gets, he hones in on that car, and he is, boom, he's following it. I came with the snapping fingers, I'm sorry. So this chase almost makes me think of the chase where Beethoven is running to rescue Emily from drowning because Beethoven's running on the sidewalk. He's running through yards. He does... For a second there, he loses the the car, the scent of the car and Missy's scent because he's, like, pawing at the road, like, trying to pick the scent back up. But he finds it. He finds the condominium. So what does this lady do for a living? She's clearly living in a condo. She needs the dog. She needs... For the $50,000 that Brillo is going to give her. Like, we're going to hide the dog away where he can't see her. She'll p- He'll pay up the money. And she calls him a big slob. Yet here's Floyd stuffing his mouth with a damn banana. Like, oh, I know the type. Emotionally vulnerable. A real marshmallow. As he Like, dude, you ain't any better. At least... Brillo comes from money. What do you got going on? Not a, di- well, Okay, this is my thing. This is gonna be R- Regina's thing here, where she gra- gets a guy and just milks him for all he's worth, money wise. So she's already got F- Floyd in her hooks as far as. She's like, do me a favor, Floyd. People in California generally swallow before they start talking. And, of course, Floyd lets the dog out onto the balcony, which is just their floor level, so it's fine. And he's like, hey, I know how to eat. And he swallows and says, I know how to eat in California, okay? (laughs) How (laughs) would I play this? This is so funny. Floyd, do me a favor, okay? Yes, dear. People in California generally swallow before they start talking. Hey, I know know how to eat in California, okay? So Beethoven goes to where the car went into the garage. It's gated, he can't get in. So, luckily, he heads over to the front and he finds Missy there on the balcony for a split second so they have a nice sweet reunion there out by the balcony and for a split second it almost looks like a close-up shot they use like a fake beethoven head for one of the close-up shots which is weird so that's a pretty high uh wall there that balcony and beethoven's like no no you can jump it just Take a running leap, get a fresh running start, and you can, like, sail over that wall, and she does. And they're together, and they're gonna have a nice little date. All right, now we go to First Interstate Bank. I wanna see, is this even a real bank? I'm sure it might be. Yeah, it's a real bank, I checked, they got a website. So we kinda hop in here to this meeting, and George has got an example, he's got, he wants to appeal instead of to cars? With, like, little air fresheners that look like a leather jacket. Now he's appealing to the athletic type people. Sports air fresheners that are shaped like footballs, hockey pucks, baseballs, soccer balls. He's got a gym bag filled with, like, a nasty sandwich that's probably been sitting on a kitchen counter rotting for a week. And then some stinky jock strap that his kid probably used that has never been washed. And some stinky underwear and other crap. So, <laughs> he's like, here, throw in a Newton. as That's what he's calling his air fresheners. Because that's his Newton auto air fresheners. Well, not auto so much as uh, gym bag <laughs> air fresheners. So, he's like, here, smell this. And the guy's like, eh, I'll take your word for it. As he throws in a Newton a football-shaped air freshener, smells it, and he's like, oh, it it takes a second to settle. He's like, that's mm, fine. So basically, the banker says, I can't authorize another loan to your company, but I can give you one as you as individuals, like you and your wife separately. But the downside is, if that product flops, they will lose their home. That is a big, big Ooh. So that is a conversation that he and his wife really need to think about that before they accept those loans. Because after that whole dilemma in the first movie with the auto air fresheners and that couple were that were going to belk George out of that money, because I don't think... He he never signed that contract. So, And I'm sure those people eventually got found out by people because they were going around to companies and stealing... Their products and trying to sell it for themselves because they were going to in six months we're going to open up our own Newton Auto Air Freshener Company and shit like that. So here is their business strategy of how much money they need. They need we and I like how Alice says we just need forty five thousand to retool and get some new machinery and twenty thousand George ads for a TV commercial. That is $65,000. That's enough money to put towards a house or even for a house. So basically he says, I can't authorize a loan to your company, but I can restructure your your debt because I have it and extend a secure demand loan to the two of you as individuals. And Alice, of course, is like, well, what does that mean? And basically he says, your product flops, you lose your home. Ooh, and alice is like almost like are you serious and george is just like he sits down he's like uh like (laughs) yeah so george and alice are going to be talking that over because when they look at each other when they he sits back down they look at each other like honey we need to have a serious discussion about this this we can't jump into this willy-nilly So now we cut back to Beethoven on his date with Missy. They're just walking around two Unleashed Dogs. The first place they stop is a dress fit- uh, some shop where this tailor has got a couple mannequins dressed up with some clothes and he is, like, making adjustments to the clothes. And mind you, this guy's got one of those measuring tapes. He's got little pins. And he turns- and he's so distracted by these dogs that he thinks his assistant or the lady that runs the shop is a mannequin because he sticks her in the ass with a pin. Like and she looks at him like, what the fuck? And he's like, Oh, there is these two dogs, Beethoven and Missy, they walk on, I'm like, okay, we're not a part of this. Bye. And he's trying to explain. Cause he's like looking at him like, woof, woof, ha, <laughs> ha, like, uh, they're like, this guy's weird. Okay, bye. He does. He's not even paying attention. He's looking at them and he sticks the pin in her ass cheek. So now we see Beethoven and Missy. Their tongues are hanging out of their mouths. They're drooling and their heads are like going up and down. They're watching chickens being rotated in a storefront window there of what looks like a, an eatery. We go to a little sidewalk hot dog stand as a guy's getting ready to put like relish. On two hot dogs. And he's like, where are the hot dogs? All I see is buns. And we see a kid there waiting. And he's looking around as we see that Beethoven and Missy are close by. And they're licking their chops like they just ate the hot dogs. Didn't even disturb the buns. Didn't even take the buns. Just the hot dogs. Where was this guy? So we get Missy and Beethoven in the park just walking along. We see a couple dogs. A dog that looks... Closely resembled to the dog from Dennis the Menace, but it's not. It's just a, sh- a shaggy, tall Benji-looking dog, and a another dog that looks like Chance, but it's not. Or Chance from Homer Bound, but it's not. So this is kind of cute. They get one of those bicycle guys that will, you know, ride you wherever you want to go. As a nice little seat you sit in it and then they bike you wherever you need to go and it's just adorable them just there oh so close and happy on their date all right now we cut to the one of the side stories of Ted who is waiting to get picked for a trial for is this a school's baseball team because there's a mixture of different ages I mean Ted's gonna be what seventh grade so he's probably 13 we got guys that are, like, juniors in high school and and stuff. They're a lot taller. We see another kid that's just like Ted with the glasses, with the hat and stuff like that. And poor Ted has to deal with the fact that he is short because he keeps, like, jumping up between these kids. Like, I'm here. Pick me. Pick me. And we got one of the guys that's picking uh, one uh, his team. This guy played, um... On my so-called life. It's not Ricky, it's, uh... It's Brian Krakow. Okay. This guy really has changed. How old is... He was born in 78, so he's like... Four years older than me. So, the two guys are picking teams. They're down to the wire now. We got... Two really tall guys and a a husky-looking guy. And Ted gets to the point where... He's standing in front of this tall guy, this, uh, one tall guy. And, uh, the Brian Krakow guy just took, uh, the guy who Ted was standing in front of. And, of course, he's also like, alright, and you can have Shorty. And the African-American boy is like, no way, it's your pick, you take Shorty. So, Brian Krakow here's like, you know what, we'll take Heather, this girl who's hanging out watching these teams being picked. Like, hey, Heather, do you want to play? And she's like, sure. Runs up to Ted, can I borrow your, your glove? I'm like, fuck you. What is this? Where is a real coach? This isn't right. Is this a little league team that's put on by the city? Because this is a bunch of bullshit. I'm like, fuck you, you can't take my glove. You're picking me! Why are you picking this random girl? Because you think she's hot? And you think you might get lucky later, Brian Krakow? No. You know that girl was just waiting for them to call her in. Poor Ted, he just socks like, damn it, I'm so short, no one's gonna pick me for baseball. So now we cut back to the house as George and Alice are discussing the whole should we do this? Should we not? And I like, always I like said, you know, honey, if things keep going the way they are, we are going to end up selling this this house anyway. What is that supposed to mean? That they're not doing so hot, so they'll probably have to downsize their house? They clearly got money problems, which we'll learn later on. That this company is not producing what it- this air freshener company is not producing what it should be. And they are probably finding themselves in the red. And George says, well, selling the house is not the same thing as losing the house. They're both, like, making, getting dinner started. So the whole time that they're discussing this, George is using the two uh, prong forks things to toss the salad, and she's like, honey, it's tossed, it's done, you don't need to mess with it. Now we cut outside to where Taylor and Bryce are, he's dropping her off. So, Rice has got her bag. She's ready to exit, but Taylor wants to talk. He's like, hey, you know, I saw you up in the mountains last summer. You got a cottage up there? And Rice is like, oh, well, no, we just rent one for, like, a week. This guy is smooth as fuck. He probably uses this line, and every damn girl he finds, he said, because he's turned around in the driver's seat where he's looking at her. He's like, the reason I remember is because when I saw you, I had this thought. And she's like, kind of nervous, like, oh, well, well, what thought? And he's like, I thought, I wonder if she's ever been kissed. He gets real serious about it. More like his underlying tone, like, I wonder if she's a virgin. But, of course, this is a PG movie. He's not gonna fucking say that. I don't know. She might have. We never saw the that date that she went on with Mark. She might have been kissed. But this is such a lame damn line this guy is throwing out there. And Rice is so shy and embarrassed at this. She doesn't say anything. And this guy reaches across and kisses her on the lips. And it's really gross. Because his big fucking fish lips like completely cover her tiny lips. It's nasty. Ugh. I'm sorry, but I don't find this guy attractive at all. This is where the song... The day I fall in love starts because we cut from this with her walking, getting out of the car, walking up the walkway into the house. She's just in a daze because she's been kissed. It's a mouth kiss. There's no tongue, no mouths were open, no tongues, no saliva was exchanged. So now we come back inside the house and she's like, Well, honey, if that's what you think, I'll call the bank. Oh, no, he says, I'll call the bank. And she's like, Good. And he's like, You sure? And she's like, uh, Guys, don't just make a whimsy decision right there while you're getting dinner ready. Sit down and actually discuss it. That is a big chunk of fucking money. You guys are clearly already in the red. Let's not... <laughs> you don't want to lose your house. You do not want that on your record. I mean, if they wanted to, if they live in California. Sell the house, downsize, use that money, but then again, I don't know how much they actually owe if they still even owe on their house. They probably do. Um, Use that money and put that towards getting a place and maybe using some leftover money to get a loan. Put that money towards it or something. I'm not a business person. I don't know this shit. This is just my opinion. This is such a beautiful song. I wanna play this clip here as Rice comes in the door and they're like, honey, what are you doing? It's like 7:30. Where the hell have you been? And she's like, "Uh uh-huh, as she's walking, she's still in a daze. Hi, honey. (laughs) Uh-huh. Leave the door open. It's seven fucking thirty and they're just now getting dinner ready? That is a late damn dinner. Not to mention, if my ki- she doesn't even shut the door by the way. Um, she's that big of an in a daze. But I'm like if my kid came home from getting a ride from someone from school that could have been a you know, a little bit whatever. You come home at seven thirty, I'm gonna be setting your ass down and ask you where the fuck you been? Because that would not be allowed. I mean, she went to school, that we hope, and school probably gets at, what, 2.33 o'clock? That's four and a half hours of her not being accounted for. She probably just went to Michelle's since she and Taylor live in the same house since they're siblings. She probably fucking hung out there for the duration. But seriously, what the fuck? And of course the look on Alice's face is like she knows. She knows what her daughter's been well He just fucking gave her a mouth kiss. It's not like they fucked her or anything, so (laughs) you're safe, Alice. Don't worry. She's still a virgin. Oh, I love this song, it's so good. She's clearly, judging by her room, she's got a poster of Tom Cruise from far and away. Got a lot I think all those pictures are of Tom Cruise. She just falls onto her bed and is just like, had ah, a kiss even though it was a mouth kiss. It was amazing. <sighs> so she is entranced. She is in his spider web. He's got her. This isn't good, guys. This isn't good. <laughs> we cut to Beethoven's date. It's dark. The drive-in. They're watching. What? it? a movie like the matinee that's got John Goodman in it? Where... These weird bugs like attack the city and these this boy and girl are in this bunker and they make out that's i've never seen the movie but beethoven of course was able to get someone's popcorn which looks like it's this popcorn bucket is big it's mostly full she eats it is popcorn good for dogs It just seems like that oil and that corn and everything, they would have some really raunchy shits. That bucket is mostly full. It looks like people maybe took like two handfuls out of it tops. Who did this song? Because one of the lyrics, the guy that's singing the duet with Dolly Parton is like, I'll be your Beethoven. And she says, roll over Beethoven, come and play with me. They're not watching that movie, are they? I mean, I see videos on YouTube of dogs that are watching a screen. Are, are they really seeing anything? Or are they just picking up on the sounds? They're really, especially Beethoven is like really into the movie. Like, wow, check out this scene. I'm worried for them. Are they going to really bite the dust with those ants? So, Beethoven and Missy settle down in the bushes. We see the couple on screen kissing, and clearly we know that Beethoven and Missy are going to the bone zone. They're banging, they're, he's impregnating her with the puppies. I'm not gonna get any more graphic than that. (laughs) When I watched this when I was 12, I'm like, that blonde-haired guy in this movie looks really hot. I was 12 when I thought that, guys. Not, not, no, he's okay looking, I don't want to say anything. Is that the girl from Mrs. Doubtfire? I'm gonna look that up. Alright, so yes, yeah, she was in this matinee film. A small-time film promoter releases a kitschy horror film during the Cuban Missile Crisis. Is this move? Oh, this must be the dude. This was Simon Fenton. What's he been in? He's the, he's a cute blonde. Uh, last thing he did was 2017. So hey, he's acting good for him. I want to see if there's anything else I would know him from. Um, not a fucking thing. Alright, going back to the book for a hot second here. Let's, uh, let's talk about Ted with this tryout. It was not a good day for Ted Newton. His greatest fantasy was to make the baseball team, the school baseball team, he knew his chances weren't that great, but he was determined to try. It took all of Ted's courage to go to the tryouts, which was being held after school. But he forced himself to go. When he got to the baseball field, he found things pretty much as he expected them to be. There were a dozen boys with baseball gloves spread out across the diamond, and a coach was hitting flush. There was no damn coach there! There were two high school boys that were choosing teams. Some call them bullshit. Clearly, I mean, the movie was not out when this person wrote this book, but whatever. The coach who was hitting flies to the outfield. Ted was the smallest kid there, but that wasn't the worst of it. Gathered in the bleachers were a group of girls from his class who had stayed around after school to watch the tryouts. Ted wasn't very sure of himself around girls, although he was sure he wanted to get to know girls better. Wait, what? Girls, on the other hand, usually ignored him completely, favoring the bigger, cooler boys in the class. Sometimes they made fun of him. What, the girls made fun of him? When the coach put Ted into center field, there was giggling from the stands. Hey, look, Newton's trying out for the team, exclaimed one of the girls. This set off Gale's a-snickering. Of Newton, you're dreaming. Ted just ignored them, but he was glad that he was far out in the outfield so they couldn't see that he had blushed all the way up to his ears. There was no coach. There was no putting him on the team. All you saw was him looking dejected at being not even picked. That a girl who was watching the baseball tryouts got picked over his ass. So, he walked off like, ugh, no, damn it. She took his glove! I'd be like, give me my fucking glove back, bitch! So, this whole time, and Ted still has not made a friend in school? What happened to those nerdish type kids that were sitting with him in the first movie. Were they not his friends? Yeah, oh, poor Ted. His only best friend is Beethoven. He wants a big dog, a big hug from his best friend Beethoven. Okay, so this explains why Rice got home at 7.30. Rice was embarrassed, excuse me, and enthralled at the same time. She had gone out right after dinner. But they were making dinner in the movie at 7.30. What the hell? Telling her parents that we, she was going over to Michelle's house to study. That was true. What she hadn't told Alice and George was that Taylor Devereaux was going to give her a ride home when the study session was over. She was just excited that the coolest guy in her class was paying so much attention to her, but she was embarrassed that he had driven her home so noisily. What? So she glanced nervously at the house when the car stopped. Blah, blah, blah rice couldn't worry about that now the fact that her parents could have heard the loud engine right then the most important thing on her mind was saying goodnight to taylor without something saying something stupid or acting like a complete dork well thanks for the ride she looked down at the pile of school books at her lap what books her bag was in her lap she was clutching it to her chest But Taylor seemed to be in the mood to talk. You know, I saw you up in the mountains last summer. Do your folks have a cottage up there or something? Rice shook her head. No, we just rented one for a week. Summer vacation. Taylor nodded and inched a little closer to Rice on the car seat. The reason I remember is because when I saw you last summer, I had this thought. Rice shot him a sideways glance. She was curious, but at the same time, she didn't want to seem too eager. Really? Yeah, really. Wouldn't you like to know what I was thinking? Rice shrugged as if she didn't really care one way or another. Although inside she was dying of curiosity. Sure, I mean, it's up to you. Taylor moved a little closer and his arms snaked across the top of the seat. I thought, I wonder if she's ever been kissed. That's what I thought. Rice was totally unprepared for this development. Her eyes grew wide. Really? And he's like, have you? From a moment for a moment rice almost panicked in fact she had never been kissed by a boy but she was afraid to say so what if he laughed at her on the other hand she couldn't lie about it what if he called her bluff all of this raced through her mind but rice decided that honesty was the best policy she shook her head slowly no she said the next few seconds seemed to pass as if in a dream very slowly taylor leaned over rice and kissed her warm and soft on her lips Rice closed her eyes. Later, she would not be able to tell how long the, the kiss lasted. It felt as if it went on forever, but also as if it passed in a split second. Well, it's because it was a mouth kiss. They don't last very long. The only thing you're tasting is the lips of someone else's lips on your own. When Taylor pulled back from her, he noticed that her eyes were so close, he smiled to himself. I'll see you tomorrow. Okay, Rice said, her eyes still closed. She opened them to get out of the car, though in a complete daze she tried to stroll casually up the walk, as if nothing out of the ordinary had happened. However, as her feet hit the pavement, her knees almost gave out as if her legs were asleep, and she felt so lightheaded from the kiss that she thought she might faint. So instead of a breezy amble up to the house, Rice managed something between tiptoes and a stagger. Oh my goodness. Wow, what do you <laughs> what did you think of that description? <laughs> all right, we uh, cut to an exterior shot of the house. We see 10 weeks later, it's been two and a half months. Beethoven is heading down the stairs. He's on a mission. He's got something going on. And of course, Ted and Emily, they got nothing else going on with their lives. They are clued in. Where's our dog going? He seems to be doing this all the time. And Emily's like, you know what? I think Beethoven's got a girlfriend. And Ted's like, what do you, what makes you think that? She's like, well, he keeps sneaking out of the house like this. So she's clearly keeping tabs on her dog. Where is he going? Every Saturday around this, every single day around this time, he takes off. So Ted and Emily are going to spy. Like, let's find out where our dog is going. So Beethoven's on a time schedule here because he gets to that door of that garage And the door just pops right open. So it must be like, I'm guessing there's got to be a car that goes in there because he wouldn't just stand there and it wouldn't just like open for him. Now we cut to Regina's condo and Floyd is walking through a door and she's like, hey, any sign of her? He's like, no, I looked in the alley. I looked under the bridge. I even looked in those new sewer pipes they were putting in. I haven't seen her. And she's like, well, what did you come back for? He's like, I need a shower, and she's like, no, Floyd, because he's, like, pulling his shirt up, getting ready to take a shower. She's like, no, Floyd, what you need is a brain transplant. Now go back and find the fucking dog. Without, because, apparently, Missy is that bargaining chip. Without the dog, she says, my divorce is worth peanuts, and I love (laughs) Floyd's response, like, hey, don't worry, I'll put notices up all over the place. Someone's bound to see her and bring her back. I love Regina's response. Somebody's bound to bring her back? What world are you living? What did she say? What year are you living in? She says, what year are you living in? Nobody's gonna bring back a missing dog. Nobody does things for people any anymore. No one is gonna bring back a missing dog. People don't do things for each other anymore. Well, if you put a reward on there- they might <laughs> Although if you put a picture of that dog on a missing dog lost poster, he Bruno's gonna find out like where's my dog? <laughs> and by this time Floyd has taken his shirt off, he's just standing there, he's got a gold chain, he's a big muscle dude. And she's like, What are you t- standing like that for? Didn't my trainer teach you how to stand? She's got him having... She's got money! She's got money to hire a trainer to teach him how to stand? Like a human being and not a schlub? Of course, there's a knock at the door. He's like, oh, that's her! That's the dog! And Regina's like, dogs don't knock, Floyd. So they open the door, and Gus is like, who are you? And of course, this old gray-haired man is like, Gus, I'm the Gus, the janitor. Oh, I found your dog. She's down in the storage room. I think she's been sleeping there. And of course Regina's like, oh, she is? Thank God. Boom! Slams the door right in Gus's face. Like, you know what? Pack the car. Forget the shower. I will get the dog. Let's get the fuck out of here. So, of course, yes. Floyd has no time to shower. He puts his shirt back on. Like, let's get out of here. All right. Oh, we see a McGruff the crime dog in the storage facility that looks like it's a storage... They're, like, just dog kennels that actually are used as storage things for people that live in the condos. Like, because there's a bike in there, there's some lawn furniture, some coolers, shit like that. So, Beethoven's got a bone in his mouth, casually just walks in like he owns the place. Like, this, he does this every single day. So, this place is pretty much, it's just Cinderblock City. Um, they go around the edge of the fenced-in area and they come to an open space. We see Beethoven clearly dragged a a piece of cardboard with some newspapers and some bedding. And the puppies are there. There's four of them. They look great. They're probably, what, maybe four weeks old? And the kids are like, oh my gosh, puppies! Little Beethovens! So keep in mind that Beethoven is a dark brown and white, long-haired St. Bernard. Missy is a short-haired, golden brown and white St. Bernard. These puppies are dark brown and white. They're clearly Beethoven clones. Those kids are really lucky that Missy isn't getting aggressive with them or being very protective of her puppies. Because they're just petting the puppies and everything. Like, it's no big deal. Like, Ted's like, oh, Beethoven, do you and your girlfriend have babies? Well, clearly they did. Ted goes so far as to pick one up. Don't pick them up. I mean, you hear her... I, and I think it's the puppies that are whining. And she might be a little nervous. Like, Can you please put my child back, please? Beethoven may, may trust you, but I don't know who you are. <laughs> of course, the celebration is short-lived because... Gus and Regina are down there. He's like, I don't know. Your dog was right here at the door and left her here. What the fuck? And of course, Regina's like, damn it, Gus. How the hell does someone like you... I don't know how you managed to hold on to this job. You should be retired. You can't do anything. So they're calling for Missy. And of course, the puppies are mobile at this point. Because they all get up and they all start wandering forward. Like, oh, someone's calling us. We're going to go. And Ted and Emily are watching through the chain link fence here as Gus and Regina are getting closer and closer and they're ducking behind this corner here and trying to- that's like reaching out trying to grab the puppies. Like, you kids could have grabbed them instead of like hung by that fence and we're- I don't, I don't know. I'm just griping. All four puppies are already around the corner and Ted is trying fruitlessly to grab at one of- <laughs> it's- you missed your shot, bud. So Gus rounds the corner first, and he's like, "Uh, uh, ma'am, I think you better come see this." And she's like, "Ugh, what is this?" Missy finally gets up and she starts growling, like, "You don't touch my kids!" And Rentina's like, "Ugh, what is this? Aren't you one big pain in the butt?" As she calls to Missy. So Gus is like, what do you want me to do with these puppies? And Regina's like, I don't know, get rid of them. And he's like, well, animal sh- shelters cost money to take dogs in. So you want to know, she says, "Drown them, why do I care? Like, bitch those aren't your dogs to say with what you want to to do with them so she's dragging missy away saying let's go missy come on you're nothing but trouble the fewer dogs in the world the better i can't believe you went and got yourself pregnant guys i'm just saying this from memory i've seen this movie that many times so regina's out of there with missy the kids get into action like all right here let's get one let's get these puppies in a box let's get them out of here they're not safe here they she's someone's gonna drown these puppies so now regina's at the elevator and gus has to open his fucking mouth like you know those puppies they sure look like purebreds and she's like yeah so he's like well puppies like that you can make a lot of money selling them and she's like oh really huh huh, what an interesting idea you know what my boyfriend's parked outside by the mercedes take missy have him put her in the back he says you can sell them at a pet shop and make a bundle. This guy is, what do they call those, the catalyst? This is the guy that sets this whole damn thing in motion. She wouldn't have given a shit if he'd have kept his mouth shut. So she runs the corner as Ted and Emily, he's got a box. He's got his jacket covering the box so no one can see what's in it. And she runs right into them. So she's like, hey, watch where you're going. And Ted on the fly he's like would you you like to buy some candy bars they're to raise money for our school and she's like oh really candy bars how much are they and of course emily's like eleven dollars each and she's like regina's like eleven dollars you don't live here get your butts out of here before it call security you know everybody that lives in that condominium regina you don't know they have kids some you don't know that they could live there Here's how the author describes the puppies. One puppy was a spinning image of Missy, with the same dark red coloring, but with big patches of white and brown. The next two looked like their dad. The fourth, the runt of the litter, was darker than his brothers and sisters, with almost no white fur at all. Uh huh. Here. <laughs> This is what Ted says. So, you and your girlfriend made some babies, huh, Beethoven? Oh, God. Beethoven gave a happy little bark and Ted and Emily laughed out loud. Oh, God. So, Regina heads back to the storage room and grabs, get this, this is what she wants to transport these puppies in, which, of course, we all know are long gone. She gets a garbage bag. Oh, my God. Those puppies would be dead from suffocation before you even get up to your apartment or you get outside. Then again, this is the lady that said, just drown them. So she goes over there, sees the puppies are gone. And then, of course, her mind flits back to just moments ago with the boy and the girl in the hallway. Like, damn it, those little brats. So now she's got... Floyd putting all the suitcases and whatnot in the car. It's like, oh, we could have made a fortune off those puppies. He's like, relax, honey. The big money's in the back seat. And she's like, no one steals from me ever. If I find those pup- those kids, blah, 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 blah. This bitch is going on about the fact that these aren't your puppies. That is not your dog. You do not have rights over what happens to that dog or those puppies. I'd be suing this bitch if I were Brillo. Does he has no idea about any of this. And I'm still like, how the fuck did she get a court order to take that dog? How? So the kids are right at that retaining wall. They see Regina's there. Of course, they can't move. They're kind of stuck there because they don't want Regina to, to see. They pull away. We see Missy barking when she sees Beethoven. And he's barking right back at her. like. And Ted's trying to hold him down. Beethoven's ready to take off after that car. Like, no, boy, you're going to blow our cover. All right, now Ted and Emily are hiding behind the bushes. They're trying to come up with a plan. Because, of course, as Emily's like, Dad won't want puppies. He didn't even want Beethoven. So Ted says, hey, i got to get this box full of puppies down in the basement. What I need you to do is go over to Dad, distract him. And she's like, how am I going to do that? He's like, well... Ask him one of those questions where he ends up giving you a whole lecture. So, he ends up telling, she asks a question, Dad, where do babies come from? He's like, what, babies? And she's like, yeah, babies, where do they come from? Oh, boy. So, I'm going to play this clip of his explanation as to where babies come from. Every
1: mommy has has a teeny-weeny uh, uh, little little egg inside her body. An
0: egg like an Easter egg?
1: An Easter? No, not 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 like an Easter egg. S- smaller than an Easter egg. Like a robin's egg? Uh, re- really really uh, smaller than a no, more more like a more like a goldfish egg, except uh, it, it, it 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 swims up a a, a, river, a, teeny, a river, a river that 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 uh, every mommy has inside of her. So so um, uh, so so a, a teeny weeny little egg. Uh, uh, just swims up the uh, the uh, the uh, river. Thousands and thousands, millions, millions of little tadpoles just swimming around the, the teeny little egg in in, in, in the itty bitty river. How
0: do the tadpoles get in the river?
1: <laughs> <laughs> they're in there. They're, they're 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 just in there. Yeah.
0: Of
1: and, they are. and and the strongest tadpole of all, though the one that is the most determined tadpole. That the tadpole that, w- that would win the, the gold medal in the in the Olympics.
0: You really that- don't know much about this, do you, have So, meanwhile, Ted is in the basement. He's got some chicken wire set up that he makes into a little corral. He puts the puppies in there. He says, "All right, little barks, baby barks are all right, but please don't start fully barking until we've come up with this scenario." to explain why you're here and we need to tell our parents so just keep your little baby barks on the dl uh meanwhile emily of course is getting a how babies are made where he turns this into it's a little egg and she's like oh an easter egg he's like no um more like a goldfish egg but he's like smaller than that and then he mentioned it's about a river and then he mentions about these tadpoles in the river, and she's like, "Well, how do the tadpoles get in the river?" And he, the look on his face is like, "Oh fuck," and he's like, "They're in there. They're they're just in there." So basically, he's talking about his sperm, how they're floating up. <laughs> the river to reach the egg. And then before he gets he gets the whole thing about the most determined Tadpole, the one that would run, win the medal in the Olympics, she cuts him off, like, you know what, you really don't know what the hell you're talking about. Thank you. Goodbye. You wasted my time. Thank you, Dad. <laughs> yeah, good luck explaining about the spermy tadpoles, how they get in that river. He <laughs> was not ready for that question. And I don't think she's ready for that answer. She's only eight. Ted finally waves her like, hey, you can cut this off, all right? Because I need you in the basement ASAP. So, of course, who are the kids going to go to? They're going to go to their big sister, Rice. Like, hey, Rice, look, we need you downstairs. We got a situation. And she's like, why are we whispering? I have a final on Friday. Keep in mind, guys, this is the end of the year. So yes, she's in high school. She's going to have a shit ton of finals to do before the end of the year. So we cut down to the basement. Ted takes the heavy blanket off of the little chicken wire corral and we see four puppies. And don't worry, they're on newspaper so if they piss and shit, it's going to go on the newspaper. And Rice is not quiet. She's like, oh my gosh, puppies! Oh my gosh, where did you get them? And of course they're like, well, they're Beethovens. And Emily's like, Well, the mother, the the lady who owns the mother was going to drown the puppies. And of course, yes, Rice is going to go in. She's going to pick one up, cuddle it to her face. Oh, that's so cute. So Ted, of course, reveals their parents do not know. We got to wait till dad's in a really good mood. And of course, Rice is like, oh, no, Ted says we got to wait till dad's in a good mood. And she's like, well, it better be a really good mood because you know how you felt about Beethoven. He did not want him. Alright, now, as I said, remember the paper boy? How I said we're gonna go back to that? We're going back to it now. So, it's morning. George is in a robe. He's got his coffee. He's like, oh, a great day. Fresh day. I'm really ready. Of course, the paperboy's like, alright, Mr. Newton, let's do this. Because he has no qualms about what happened before when he slammed it into the guy's coffee cup so George is like alright buddy his name is Tommy. like right down the pipe I'm ready give hit me with a paper of course kid chucks it this thing is like a newspaper made out of cement because it hits the hanging plant right above George's head breaks it the soil falls all over George especially in his coffee we hear from the basement George screaming Alice As Rice is on the phone with a veterinarian explaining the situation that we have four puppies here. They do not have her mother. They don't have their mother anymore. And how are we going to handle this? So the kids, um, Ted comes down while Rice is on the phone. He's like, here, maybe fresh milk. They're just taking like a carton or a jug of milk, putting it in there thinking that maybe, you know, like kittens. Like, oh, let's give Kitty some milk. Do not give Kitty some milk. From the fridge. Yeah, I I know well I know it's not about a cat, but even still, don't do that because your kitty will get the shits. That's what happens. So basically the vet tells rice they need milk replacement powder because the puppies are very young and they still need to nurse. Here's the kicker. You wanna know how many times they gotta do this? Six to eight times a day. So Emily's holding one of the puppies and she's like, come on puppy, take a sip of it. And then Ted, of course, dips his finger in there and holds it out to the puppy who was like, "Eh, eh, no, no, no. So yeah, basically she's on the phone. She gets a hold of the doctor. She says they're very young and their mother's gone and they won't drink milk from a bowl. So the vet suggests milk replacement powder with an eyedropper, Six to eight times a day. Okay, let's think about this. There are three kids, right? six to eight times a day. So if you put that out, like what's that like maybe every two hours, you could do get on a schedule because these kids, but they have school. So these puppies are probably gonna be getting up and wanting to feed every two hours. That's gonna be a dilemma. That's why these kids have to get up really, really early. They're early. you see their alarms going off. And they're having to get down there and give the, the milk with the eyedropper and everything like that. And then also the kids are discussing, well, we need to also do this in the afternoons, not just before school. So they're upstairs arranging their schedules. So that way they can, like, Emily and, and Ted, like, we can do it after morning recess. Or in the afternoon. And Emily's like, yeah, if we run... It's later that evening, George is in the living room with Alice, he's going over, I'm guessing this is another speech, as he refers to their their customers as hypersensitive odors that want to get back at these annoying odors. So, when I say throw in a Newton, I want people to think, throw in a hand grenade, throw in a bomb, anything to get back at the the mercy of these terrible, terrible odors, and he's just getting so worked up. He's so, this is his obsession, all right? He says, I want to give them something to fight back with our customers at these, the mercy of these terrible odors. When they say, throw in a new, and I want people to think of, like, throwing a grenade, a missile, an atomic bomb. She finally cuts him off, like, honey, honey, please slow down, okay? I think you are working a little too hard, and he's like, you think so? And she's like, oh yeah, yeah, I know. So I think you need to just take a break. So Alice is like, you know, I'm glad 4th of July is coming and we'll go someplace. And he's like, honey, honey, we don't have money to go anyplace. She's like, no, honey, I'm not talking about a big deal. I'm just talking about something small. And he he keeps saying, Alice, we don't have any money. Please, please, please. Just, I, I can't right now. Finally, she says, why don't you go up and spend some time with the kids? And he looks at her like, kids? Like, we have kids? Oh, yeah, that's right. We do have kids. (laughs) So now we cut upstairs to, I'm guessing, Rice's room as she's going through her school schedule. As Rice says, Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Friday mornings are going to be trouble. And Ted asks, what about the other days? Monday and Wednesday... Rice has a free period in the morning. So is that what, study hall or something? So Ted volunteers himself and Emily to do the lunch hour feeding while their mom is at the office. They, she's got like this whole spread of the week for the calendar. It's really, really nice looking. And we see that Beethoven's just kind of hanging between Emily and Ted while they all figure all this out. And Rice is holding one of the puppies. Why do you have it up there? How are the other puppies not barking their heads off? Like, why are you taking him away? Why not us? Why are we stuck in this little chicken wire corral? So Rice asks, is there any way you can get back? You can get home and back during recess. And of course, morning recess is too short. And Ted volunteers like, well, we can do it in the afternoon. And Emily's like, yeah, if we run, we can. So, obviously, the kids, they walk to school. Their schools are not that far from where they're at. So, of course, George is at the bottom of the stairs shouting, hey, kids! The kids hear this, and they immediately are like, okay, get the shit under the bed. Where's the Monopoly game? Get it out. Here, here's some money, here's some money. Get your houses, get this, get that. So, they're trying to create the illusion that they were playing monopoly and george of course sees this like oh hi kids what you doing and they're like oh nothing we're just playing a game like oh do you want us to do th-? so before they got that monopoly game out right? shoved the puppy under the bed that puppy is just gonna come what she is trying to make an escape so george is like oh you're playing monopoly can i be the battleship oh can i be the banker so ted is like um well emily's banker and she's like it helps me improve my math skills and he's like, oh, it does? And she's like, yeah. And their eyes, they see this puppy. Shit. The puppy is right by his shoe. Their eyes are all now folk. Even Beethoven's like, oh, crap. Of course, luckily, Rice saves the day by saying, um, we're almost through. And he's like, oh, oh, okay. Well, next time you're going to play Monopoly, call me. And they're like, oh, yeah, sure, sure, sure. He walks away. And goes downstairs, does not even see the puppy. He almost could have stepped on that puppy. They're like, oh, whew. and of course, Ted is yelling at at Emily, like, am em, I told you not to bring him up here. So now we cut to Rice's school as she's having Michelle dictate a note to their teacher, Miss Anderson, about being excused from school. So she's dictating, reading a back. Please excuse Rice from classes on Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday because she has to go to the doctor's to get allergy shots. That's pretty damn far fetched, especially since it's the last, like, probably the last month of school. And all of a sudden, Rice has got to skip, like, three days of school to be able to get her allergy shots. Which, I'd be calling home, like, um, what's, what's this amount of allergy shots? So, Michelle and Rice are walking down the stairs, and they see Taylor talking to another girl. Which, of course he would, because he's not dating Rice or anything. He just kissed her. Gave her right home. And this girl that he's talking to is wearing this see-through blue top that you definitely can see her bra right through her shirt which Michelle's like oh my gosh you can totally see her bra right through her shirt like totally accidental I'm sure and she sees Rice's worried look like don't worry my brother totally likes you he told me so Alright, now we cut to the kids, Ted and Emily, and they're running their butts off trying to get home so they can feed those puppies. Because, mind you, there are four of them, so it may take a bit. You gotta give them enough, make sure they're drinking the milk from the eyedropper, because we need to make sure their little tum-tums are full each time, otherwise they're not getting the nutrients, they're not growing they'll get sick they'll have problems on their hands we don't want now we catch rice who is running home to feed the puppies eventually these puppies are going to get big enough that they will eventually start drinking that milk replacement powder on their own because i don't know how old they were when they were taken if it's been 10 weeks i want to find out how long does a a, a puppy uh, a dog's gestation period last so it says the gestation it varies from breed. Says about nine weeks. It's uh we got that time step stamp of ten weeks. So I'm guessing those puppies could be maybe one to two weeks old. So they are very very young. So I understand definitely they need that nutrients if they're gonna survive. Now as I've said, the puppies look like they're getting mobile to the point where they're even climbing the stairs. And you see from the vantage point we see George going past. The door to the basement, into the kitchen, not even paying attention, and one of the hands is grabbing the puppy and closing the door. So clearly, days and weeks are passing. You know, we see the kids having to get up early in the morning. We hear the alarms going off. We see a uh, alarm clock says two thirty. Ooh, we see. Okay, now it's 3.30. Are they doing every hour on the hour? Because you need to probably spread that out throughout the day. You don't just bunch all the feedings together, you know, between this and this. They're going to need feedings in the evening, too. Spread those feedings out. You got three of you. You can make this work. Now we cut to... Well, I guess Ted's made the team because now he's, like, falling asleep while waiting for the ball to come his way. We see Rice, who's sleeping... At the lunch table, we got a fork in hand. She's got food on it. Somebody actually starts taking food off of her plate, which, I mean, if she's sleeping, she's not eating it. We got poor Emily asleep in class. As all the kids are raising their hands, trying to answer a question, luckily, a person next to Emily shakes her awake, like, hey, get your book open, put your hand in the air. She's like shaking, flipping to find out what page they're on. Okay, now these puppies are a little bit bigger. They look to be maybe about six weeks old at this point. So time has definitely passed. The door is open. The puppy wants to escape. But luckily, Beethoven shuts the door before George notices. So good on them. They've kept those puppies a secret for quite a while. So three of the puppies are in the little newspaper corral. They're sleeping. We got one puppy who's drinking on his own from the bowl. As Ted's asleep, Emily and Rice come down. Yeah, puppy's drinking from the bowl. Eventually they can start them on hard food. Or soft food. Maybe mixed in with that milk powder stuff. So this is where Alice is getting a call from. Rice's chemistry teacher. He notices that Ted and Emily are like walking, sleeping zombies. Like, oh, it's early to bed for you two tonight. And they're like, okay, as they head upstairs. So the teacher's just calling to see if Rice is okay. And Alice has no idea this is going on. She's like, why did something happen? And the teacher's like, no, I'm just worried about, you know, with less than eight weeks of school left and her missing classes to get her allergy shots, she might have trouble catching up. As in, you're going to be repeating the grade if you don't get caught up and take these finals and pass these finals with fine colors. So Alice is like, alright, I know there's a boy. She doesn't say this to the teacher. She's probably thinking, alright, I know there's a boy, and I gotta have this out with my daughter because something's up. So Rice is all nonchalant about, like, hey, what's up? And her mom is like, oh, I just got off the phone with Miss Anderson. Smile's gone off Rice's face like, crap. And her mother cuts to the chase like, you want to tell me what's going on, Rice? And of course, Rice is like, I can't. Oh, by the way, I haven't mentioned that Rice, you know how she had long hair in the first movie? It's short. And that's probably because she's on the show The Nanny at this point. So, yeah, and and Rice does not want to give up this secret. She promised her siblings. And, you know, they can talk to their mom. She's totally Cool. And she says, oh, honey, yes, you can. We've always been very honest with each other, haven't we? And straight away, she's like, are you skipping school to spend time with boys? Because if you were, there, if you are, there was a time. And of course, Rice is like, no, mom, no, I'm not using drugs, and I'm not pregnant. Because, of course, if a girl, if a kid's in trouble, that's exactly what the mother's gonna assume. Like, look, cut to the chase, I'm not pregnant, I'm not using drugs. It's a little it's not even that big of a deal (laughs) um her mother's like honey just level with me what's going on so rice has no choice like all right ted emily and i have been hiding four puppies in the basement and the exasperated look her mother gives her like really that's the big secret Are are you sure there's nothing else she's like yes mom seriously this is the big thing this is what i've been keeping from you This is why I'm not able to get to my classes because I got to help feed four puppies. So, of course, she's like, don't tell your father as we hear him say, I'm home. So, he is, George is really branching out. You know, he wants to show his stuff to the hockey players, to the soccer players. Just really, oh, he, he, he says the hockey player flips for the mahogany vanilla. He really loved it. And he's like, I think this is creating a buzz like yeah maybe if he's got some samples give them out to these teams see if they like them and maybe they'll sponsor or support you or put in a good word or something now the kid he's like really trying to get the kids like amped up and like yeah like kids come on don't you see there's a bus huh and he's like all right all right calm down calm down now now on another front this is a big one thanks to your mother he says, due to a special request from your mother, I've found the perfect vacation spot for a family with a limited cash flow, because we don't have much money coming in. And of course, she's like, wait a minute, honey, we can't afford anything right now. And he's like, no, 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 this we can't afford. And he says, my Velcro supplier, what do you say, Fred Serbiak, has got a cottage up in the mountains, and he's going to be gone. So I told him, yes, that we would love to spend the 4th of July weekend there. So he said, the guy's been offering the cottage, like, for years all the time. And he's, and George says, it's empty this 4th of July. And since you told me that there'll be no business this 4th of July, I said, yes. He said, we are going to spend four fun-filled days at Fred's Serbit. Serbiax mountain getaway absolutely free. The kids are excited. However, there's a clause. He says, Fred was a little worried that we had a dog, but I told him don't worry about it. You know, our dog is a big little fluff ball. He will not do any damage. Which I get it. You're, you're leasing your house out or you're letting someone stay over the holiday weekend. You're worried about the damage, especially if the person... Is bringing a pet. And especially if that pet is the size of a St. Ber- because it's a St. Bernard. He's like, I said our guy wouldn't be any trouble. And he looks down at Beethoven. He's like, isn't that right, you little chihuahua, do you? And of course, Beethoven cannot resist. Like, oh, 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 sound. Of course, guess what? That's going to alert the puppies down in the basement. Like, oh, our dad, let's answer him. Woof, woof, woof. And, and George continues talking. But he's like, well, wait a minute. He keeps hearing that noise and everyone's like, oh, I'll clear the table. Oh, I'll run the dishwasher because the mom's in on it. So she knows it's like we need to create noise to kind of block out this sound. And George is like, um, because Rice is like, I'll clear the table. And George is like, isn't it customary to do that after we eat? And she's like, she sits down like, oh, that's right so he's like am i hearing those barking noises coming from the basement or are they outside and of course they're all like oh it's uh, it's outside and he's like no no no, no. I, I i think i'm hearing something from the basement so he goes to check and the kid just said sort of like crap! we were so close they told me why you open your mouth I think I'm going to stop here and I'm going to do a part two and review the rest of the movie just so that it doesn't get too long. I want to kind of stick around an hour and a half and I have to split them into two, then that's cool. So, check back for part two next week. Alright, bye bye.